Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We've been in a sermon series entitled Jesus, Sacrificial Lamb and Resurrected Lord. And actually, we've been journeying with Jesus through the narrative of Luke's gospel. Uh, It began with Jesus' arrest outside the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the denials of Peter, and then last week, the illegal trials that Jesus went through that would lead to his reluctant Uh, conviction by Pilate and being sentenced to death on a cross. Uh, Next Sunday, of course, we will see the glorious resurrection of Jesus as we celebrate Easter Sunday. And then in the two weeks after Easter, Pastor Jeff Williams, our missions pastor, will take you on a walk on the road to Emmaus with Jesus and then to receive the great commission and to witness the ascension of Jesus back to the Father's right hand. Uh, But to understand today's lesson and really the entire series, we've got to start with a basic problem that every one of us has. And that is that every single one of us is a guilty sinner. No exceptions. Every one of us inherited from our initial ancestors, Adam and Eve, the sin nature. It's it's within us. It's within our spiritual DNA. We are sinners. And then we are also sinners, guilty sinners, because we have willfully chosen time after time after time to go in ways to make choices, to make decisions that are contrary to what God would have us to do. We have rebelled against the God who created us. And so for us to understand what that has done to our relationship with our Creator, we have to understand not only our nature as sinners, but God's nature. God is holy. God cannot have union or fellowship or connection with anything that is sinful because of the holiness of God that is beyond our comprehension. And not only is God holy, God is just. In other words, there must be justice for transgression to satisfy the just nature of God. We see the symbol in our own justice system of the scales of justice. And and ideally in human law and criminal justice, there would be a balancing of punishment for crime, though we know our system is far from perfect. But God's justice is complete. It's perfect. There must be a balancing of atonement for sin to satisfy the just nature and what that demands. Or to put it this way, because God's nature is holy and just, he cannot allow sin to be forgiven without atonement being made. It just simply would be contrary to who God is. And that's a problem for us because the Apostle Paul tells us in that familiar verse, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But then verse 24 is good news. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How? He did this through Christ Jesus 
when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice for sin. To understand that, you have to be familiar uh, with the Old Covenant. In Old Testament times, before Jesus came to earth to be our Savior, in, in those days, sacrifices were made upon the, the altar at the temple. Uh, sacrifices of innocent animals. Now, animals are always innocent because they do not have a conscience. They do not have uh, a soul. It doesn't mean they don't have intelligence. Sometimes I think my dog's smarter than I am. But they do not have a soul. They do not have a conscience. And so innocent animals were sacrificed upon the altar. That's repulsive to our modern mindset but again, it was necessary for that to happen to satisfy the just nature of a holy God. And it had to happen over and over again because it was not a sufficient sacrifice to be once for all time. But when Jesus came, then the sacrifice was once for all time. The writer of Hebrews explains the, the blood sacrifice and the necessity of blood in Hebrews chapter 9 beginning with verse 20 and he begins by quoting Moses then he meaning Moses said this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you end quote and in the same way the writer of Hebrews said he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship in fact according to the law of Moses Nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, a person with no theological context or understanding might see that or hear that and say, what's up with that? What's the big deal about the blood? Why do you guys sing songs about the blood? That, that just seems, again, repulsive to our modern mindset. But Blood is, is essential in this, in this system of atonement for sin because blood, follow me, is the essence of life. It's the essence of life. The moment that blood stops coursing through our veins, death comes. And that's why the donation of blood is, is such a, a significant gift. They call it giving the gift of, uh, of life. If, if there is no blood, there is no life. And so it takes the very essence of life to sacrifice for our sin. Our sin is that serious. And where there was continual over and over again sacrifices of animals upon the altar in the temple in Old Testament times, Jesus came to be that once for all sacrifice. Continue in Hebrews 9 verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, let me stop right there. Unless Jesus comes in our lifetime, all of us are going to die. I, I'm not trying to be morbid or, or, or negative. I'm just giving you reality. And this is not in my notes, but let me just share a personal testimony. A member of our church that I grew to love, Rick Gorder, 
Some of you may know Rick and Rosalind Gorder, but he came many months ago to share with Cindy and I at the altar that he had cancer, and we were praying if it could be God's will that he would be healed. And for many months, he, he did okay on the treatments, but the cancer returned. And Roz said, he's home under hospice. Can you come and pray with him and talk with him? So I went over Friday, and I read from Paul's writing in Philippians 2 when he said, to die is gain, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I read from 2 Timothy 4 where Paul said, I, I've finished the race and I've remained faithful. And on Saturday morning, Roz told me that that morning, in the early morning hours, he had slipped away from this life and into eternity with Jesus. All of us are going to die. The question is, are we going to be prepared for that moment when it comes? And so Christ, verse 28, also Christ was offered once for all, once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Why is that important? We'll go back to verse 27 again. Just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, and this time not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. The coming of the sacrificial lamb, the son of God, the savior of the world, was something that people in Old Testament times anticipated and they longed for and they looked for and they watched for, for centuries, not knowing when he would come. And that's why the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus' coming seven centuries before it happened. And I want you to listen to his writing in Isaiah 53, and I want you to think about how many things came to pass almost exactly as Isaiah prophesied. Listen closely, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet... The Lord laid on him. He was speaking of Jesus, even though it was 700 years before Jesus came. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. We saw that last week. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth unjustly condemned. We saw that last week. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. We'll see that later today. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, and we're among those. He will enjoy a long life, eternal life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper 
in his hands. Seven centuries before it happened, Isaiah prophesied that the Lamb of God was coming, that he would be silent before his shearers just as Jesus was silent before those who put him on trial, that he would be executed like a criminal, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, but that he would enjoy eternal life. And when Jesus came, one was sent to prophesy his coming and his arrival. We call him John the Baptist. By the way, he wasn't John the Southern Baptist. He was John the Baptizer. And he was baptizing people in the wilderness as they repented of their sin and turned to God in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And, and look at the identification that John makes in John chapter 1. There's a, a group of Pharisees that have come to the wilderness where John is to confront him. See the scene, John 1, 24. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. But then look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. With all of that as context, here's the main theme of today's message. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb to bear the penalty for your sin and mine. So let's go back to the narrative in Luke's gospel that we have been following in these weeks and pick it up with Luke 23, verse 26. Jesus has already been convicted, and he is being led to a hill called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. Luke 23, 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the, seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now we've heard the story of Jesus' crucifixion, most of us, all of our lives. But what did it really mean? What did it look like? I want to share with you a description from William Barclay's classic commentary. Listen, listen closely to this description. Quote, the victim was stretched out on the crossbar and nails were driven through his hands. Halfway up the cross, there was a projecting piece of wood called the saddle, which took the weight of the criminal, for otherwise the nails would have torn through his hands. Then the cross was lifted and set upright in its socket. Now, now this, is, this is so powerful. 
The terror of the crucifixion was this. The pain of that process was terrible, but it was not enough to kill someone. And the victim was left to die of hunger and thirst beneath the blazing noontide sun and the frost of the night. Many a criminal was known to have hung there for a week. For a week upon the cross until he died raving mad. And with that picture of the torture of the cross, the words of Jesus in verse 34 become even more incredible. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now you would think that those who were standing there, those who had been uh, the ones who put Jesus on the cross, who, who nailed the spikes in his hands, you would think that they would hear that and they would be so shocked and taken aback by the mercy and the grace of one who was suffering like that, that they would begin to give him dignity and respect in his dying moments. But no, the verse continues. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed, meaning the, the Jewish leaders. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, don't miss this, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. They were too foolish to realize that Jesus could have called a legion of angels just by speaking the words to rescue him from the cross. But he didn't so that he could rescue you and me from our sin. Verse 40 but the other criminal protested. In other words, he responded to that first criminal who mocked Jesus. He said, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. He didn't realize how true his statement was. Not only had he not done anything wrong deserving capital punishment and execution, he had never done anything wrong. No sin of any kind at any time in his entire life. Verse 42, then he said, meaning the thief, the, the criminal, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want to stop just for a moment there. Do you realize what an incredible thing happened there? that in his last moments of life, this man who had been a criminal, he had done something worthy of capital punishment and execution under Roman law. He was a sinner to the ultimate degree in their society. But this man, at the last possible 
opportunity, put his faith in Jesus Christ. He called upon him. And by the way, this causes theologians and, and pastors all kinds of problems because he never walked down an aisle. Uh, he was never confirmed. He was never baptized. He never became a member of a church. And all those things are good, but he did what was most important. He put his faith in Jesus. So let me ask you something. Have you done that? I mean, why would you wait until the last moment? And I've had a few in my ministry that were on their deathbed before they trusted in Jesus Christ. And that's what this man did. But look at Jesus' response. He doesn't say, hey, buddy, too late now. You had your chances. No, look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So if you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening to a podcast and you have not yet become a Christ follower, let me just make this statement, and I hope you will hear it with your heart and your mind. In this life, it is never too late to trust in Jesus. But every moment you wait, is a wasted moment in which you are closer to eternity without him. So I challenge you, don't wait. At the end of this message, we're going to offer an invitation. We will have deacons and their wives standing here. Cindy and I will be here in the front. Uh, if, if you have a prayer need, we would pray with you, but especially if you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure if you have, or maybe you're not even sure what that means, but you, you need to take a step toward Jesus. Just come to one of these couples or in the balcony and just say, I need to take the next step. Don't wait another day. Don't waste another opportunity. Well, back to the story, verse 44. 44. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now what's that about? Well, in the temple there was a place called the Holy of Holies that was separated from the people and even the priests by a, a great curtain, and only the high priest could come once a year behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. But when Jesus became the once-for-all sacrifice, God tore that curtain in half, and all of us are invited to come by faith into the holy presence of God. Verse 46, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And look, and with those words, he breathed his last. Do you understand what happened at that moment? At that moment, every lie you have ever told, every selfish moment of your life, 
Every sin you have ever committed was placed upon the Lamb of God. He purchased freedom for you. He purchased forgiveness for you. He purchased eternal life for you. And you don't have to earn it. All you have to do is what that criminal on the cross did. Receive it. Receive it as a gift of God's grace and begin to love and follow Jesus. Verse 47. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. You know what I think? I think many in the crowd that day that watched Jesus on the cross, they didn't understand what had just happened. And I also think many in the crowd out there today, they don't understand what happened either. Because many people will wear crosses in jewelry or they'll have a cross tattooed or, or there, there's something about the shape of a cross that's somehow meaningful, but they don't understand that the cross is the place where the payment for their sin was made by the Lamb of God. That's what the cross is about. So Jesus is dead upon the cross. Verse 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin that had convicted Jesus. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. John's gospel says that he was a secret follower of Jesus at that point. But after the resurrection of Jesus, he became a very public follower of Christ. Verse 51 continues. He, meaning Joseph, was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He was looking for Jesus. He went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross, and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. Now, think about Joseph was was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the group that convicted Jesus to die. But when he asked for the body of Jesus, and he at his own expense put Jesus in a tomb that he owned, that he had paid for, that belonged to him, when he did that, the secret was out. The Sanhedrin knew, everyone knew that he was a follower of Jesus. He put his life on the line. That took courage. And by the way, it takes courage to stand up for Jesus against a crowd of unbelieving cynics. It did for Joseph back then. It does still today. But for those who will, it's a decision you'll never regret. Let's begin to bring the narrative to a close. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken down, 
The women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. That was their way of embalming. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. As the curtain draws to a close and the narrative for this week's episode ends, Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. But as we know, he won't stay there. Next Sunday, we will celebrate his glorious resurrection. So let me, let me close out. Uh, so stay with me just a moment by, by asking you to imagine something with me. Okay? The theater of your mind, imagine this. Imagine you were there that day. Imagine you were standing there watching as they nailed Jesus' hands to the cross. Imagine you watched as they dropped the cross down into to that hole that held it upright. Imagine that you heard him say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Imagine you are standing there. Picture that in your mind. And imagine as you are standing there, you realize it was your sin that put him there. It was not just the sins of the whole, it was your sin and mine that put him there. And I say to anyone who is not yet a Christ follower, can you imagine that you're standing there and you see what he did and you realize it was for your sin? Can you imagine saying to Jesus, I understand, but no thanks, I'm too busy. I've got other things. Imagine if you're standing there and you're a Christ follower and you realize that you have taken what he did for granted, that you need to repent of that and have a broken and thankful heart. Imagine if you are standing at the cross watching Jesus die for your sin. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and I wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. Sing it with me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, oh, how wonderful, is my Savior's love for me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to take that step of faith 
to step across that line from unbeliever to Christ follower by putting your faith in Christ. All I'm asking you to do to take that step is to come to one of the couples that will be here at the front or up in the balcony and just simply say to them, I need to take the next step, and they'll help you do that. And they will also be there if there's something going on in your life or a burden that you're carrying for someone else and you really need to come to the altar to pray about that. We'll not stay here much longer. But if you need to pray about something, then don't be too in too much of a hurry to rush away that you don't come and lay it in prayer at the feet of Jesus. Would you stand please with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the love of Jesus that caused him to allow himself to be nailed in torture and pain and suffering for us. Though he had no sin, because he loved us and we are sinners, he gave himself for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Lord, help us not to be ungrateful or to turn away the sacrifice of the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Lord, in these next few moments, would you move in the hearts of people? Help us not to be so distracted by the other things of life that can wait for just a few moments that we don't hear what you have to say to our hearts. We give you these moments in Jesus' name. Amen.